Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Uncensored CMO. Now, if you've been following marketing Twitter or marketing LinkedIn recently, you will have seen a lot of attention on attention. Yes, that's right. We Even Byron Sharp has waded in with his point of view on the attention. Uh, we've got a big response from Mark Ritson. Then everybody seemed to have a point of view on uh, the role of measuring attention and its importance. So I thought it was about time that I had a full session with Karen Nelson-Fields to find out a bit more about how you measure attention, why is attention important. Now, Karen, you'll remember if you listened to an episode earlier this year, was part of a trio at Cannes called Triple Jeopardy featuring herself, Orlando Wood and Peter Fields, drawing our attention to why attention matters. So in this episode, we're going to get right into attention. So without further ado, let's get on with it. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Again. Great to ha- again, I know. Well, last time we met, it was Can, You know, but we, of course, we had the, the three of you fresh off the stage with your amazing Triple Jeopardy talk. How's that gone down, actually? It's been great. So we've actually had an opportunity to do it again, but the feedback's been extreme. So very, very happy that we were able to get together and three minds on the stage. Oh, it, it was really magical how the three of you brought those different threads together and, and really supported the, the overall story. It was, it was very powerful. It was a fantastic pairing and I think we'll probably do more together. I hope you do because it's, it's a wonderful thing. Well, listen, take us the beginning, origin story. How do you get where you are today? Give the listeners a bit of a sense of your career journey to this oh, point. Oh, wow. You want to go that far? So I worked in media in my youth and loved it, then went to sort of brand side like everyone does. But the real story begins when I did an audience measurement PhD and I spent 10 years as an academic while my babies were growing and loved it. And it was at a time when Facebook was the Facebook And, you know, it was before even YouTube was sold to Google. So it was a really interesting time for digital. And, uh, you know, my early work really uncovered some of the issues around measurement in those days. So, you know, right back then, I kind of recognized there was a gap in measurement. And I guess that's kind of what my postdoc was about. So 10 years into tenure, I made a decision to leave the university and see if I can actually do something about it and, and hired a technician, hired a researcher and uh, tried to sort of understand whether this thing called attention could be, you know, I guess measured. Is it valuable and is it meaningful and is it different? And, you know, here we are today. Wow. Now I'm dying to get into how attention works, why we need to pay attention to it, all those things. But before we do, I'm fascinated your career journey to go from sort of the academic side, being a professor, to a business owner. That don't you don't hear that very often. What what what's your experience of making that jump from the theory into now building a business? Well, I started my PhD at 35, so you know I had a long history of running teams, big big teams with big budgets. So I was probably never destined to be an academic my whole life, and with respect, you know, academia is not particularly innovative. It's great for learning and great for understanding, you know, and spending three years on one question, but from an innovation perspective, and I've always had that in my blood. So, you know, by 10 years, I'd probably had my time. And and like I said, I could, I I picked a problem, which was the the currency failing us. And I, I felt like it was time for me to you know, put my money where my mouth is, which I literally did. So put my money into the business myself and, and sort of hired a few people and and started to drive revenue from day one. Just tell us then, what was the problem you're trying to solve? Where, how did you spot this opportunity to focus on attention and, and why do we need to focus on attention? 
So that's an interesting question because I coined the original saying, which was not all reach was equal, is equal. It's funny how you hear it back played at you when you said it six years ago. But in those days, I knew that there was a problem between relative performance between different platforms, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. So it's taken me five years to get to a paper that I'm about to release this week. Oh, wow. Congratulations. And I guess cause of measurement failure is time and view. And time and view is that interesting set of data that makes assumptions that humans are viewing but in fact, there's gaps in that. So when the counter of time and view is is clicking, often people are switching between, you know, looking at an ad and then not looking at an ad. So so what that means is there are flow-on effects, and this is what we talked about in Cannes. So there are flow-on effects to the MRC viewability standard. So any of the viewability measure businesses are set for failure because two seconds on one platform won't be the same as two seconds on an, of another because time in view leaves gaps. Okay. So so the opportunity to view something doesn't necessarily mean you've actually got the attention of the audience who are watching. Is that, is that, is that right? Which makes common sense. But, you know, a lot of measurement is based on the premise of time in view or completion, right? But it's completely, completely false. In fact, even at best, one in three chance that someone's looking at each or at a second of time in view. One in three? Yeah. Really? So it's, wow. it's not great. It's not great odds. And that's at its best. When you go beyond 10 seconds, that gets worse, that relationship. So that kind of is absolutely the inner core of the problem we're solving, that time in view doesn't do what it says it does. And what's worse is that relationship changes in terms of the relationship between attention and time of view. It changes by platform and format. So it's complicated because it's not as simple as throwing a singular proxy, you know, unit or measure to it or, you know, an average or or some sort of index. Each platform and format has its own recipe of failure, if yeah, you like. yeah. Tell us, what would be the best platform in terms of the, the the attention relationship between the two, and what would be the worst? And what's the difference between those two extremes? Look, I'm not. You know me. I'm not ever going to reveal exactly who wins the race. But what I will tell you is, if you put a division down the middle, it's skippable media versus non-skippable media. Now, that's not just digital, right? So. So that's probably about as far as I'll go okay. to say so, there's so the like big a divide real medium will be point. Whether you can skip or not skip. Yeah, changes the strength of the relationship. Okay. Yeah, and skippable isn't just touching it and skipping. It's also scrolling, right? So it makes common sense. So you can, you can actively move away from the ad really easily. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? In terms of like, yeah, of course, yeah, you, yeah. You want, to capture attention, you want to have own the screen I suppose yeah. don't you yeah I mean than- let me I'll, I'll put it this way so if you if you pick sort of the bottom feeder of programmatic you know the worst of the worst websites that's on that end and then you pick something like cinema because we we collect cinema data now which you're locked in and you can't leave yeah. and if you use your phone the fun police come and get you you know so so that's at the other end you can't skip those ads because you actually can't <laughs> so Karen one of the questions I've got for you is is how do you actually go about the actual task of measuring attention so you're asking me how does the technology work yeah. or are you asking me what's the definition of attention? Well, how, how, how you capture people's attention and, and provide an extra data set that we don't currently have. So what I love about that question is it leads me to when it all started to go awry, right? So when I was younger, we used to measure humans. We used to measure outward. When digital started, we started to measure inward 
or we measure metadata which makes assumptions about human behavior. So the, so the short answer is we measure humans and how we do that is we have a series of apps that sort of sit on different devices for example but let's use the phone as the easiest version. We go to any panel we, we collect from about 13 countries in the world and we ask someone through our panel provider to recruit a thousand or two thousand people they download our app and what it does with permission is it gives us the access to be able to put code on the back of these different platforms and it also allows us to intercept the camera so essentially all we're doing is using the mobile device as as a front-facing camera to collect facial footage whilst collecting the metadata that sits behind that viewing experience so sound and volume and orientation and things like that and all of that data comes back to our central stack and it runs through one of our attention models so we've got a few attention models depending on which platform we're collecting from so yeah that's probably the short answer <laughs> that's amazing it's fascinating that. I did, I, yeah that is really cool it's a bit different for television so we send out little baby computers to homes and for cinema we have production teams actually set up cameras within the cinema so you're looking at the audience as they're looking at the content correct yeah so it's essentially computer vision outward facing yeah yeah now one, one, one of the things we, we touched on in cam which i think is so fundamental is you know we take the esov model don't we about how you know share you know you need to go for excess share of voice leads to share of market gains presumably what you've told me now about how not all tension is equal varies by channel we can't really do that anymore can we because like you know you're not, you're not necessarily buying the same or the reach you're getting is not necessarily translating into attention yeah so just to correct you it's not that not all attention is equal it's not all reaches or not all reaches yeah, yeah, equal yeah, yeah. yes yeah. exactly um, doesn't translate into the same attention. Whereas attention is ubiquitous across all different platforms. Does that mean that the, the theory of ESOV is potentially broken because the assumptions you make as a planner is that you're going to get you know the same amount well, of attention? Well, it's not even theory. I mean, you saw Pete talk about that. So he's plotted, I think, over 12 years, the relationship between SOV and market share change. And it once was highly related, it's now not even at all. And it's kind of declined in line with the greater usage of online. So again, it's not for fraudulent practices and it's not because marketers are silly, it's just the independent variable by which we our currency relies doesn't work, which is time and view. Yeah. Now that's got some pretty fundamental implications, hasn't it? Well, it's it? got flow-on effects. So yeah. one you just raised, which is share of voice, share of market, because, you know, I can spend a million, my competitor can spend a million dollars, but they might spend it inadvertently on higher attention platforms, even though it's a million dollars, so share of voice fails. But also it's it's reach-based planning, which was raised recently. It's also things like market mix models that rely on equitable impressions, viewability, you know. So, you know, viewability's got a bad rap in the last few years, even from attention vendors, right? But the core of its problem is not that it was set up to fail. It's just, again, it's independent variable fails. So, and even creative strategy fails because you don't understand how quickly people decay at the back of the reach that you buy in terms of attention and one is different to the other. So it's all sorts of flow on effects. One thing that really stood out in your presentation that, that I thought I hadn't heard before but seemed very, very profound was the, the two and a half second rule. Can you explain that? Yeah, so over the last five years we've been collecting outcomes. Obviously part of my job's been to sort of understand whether attention's valuable 
but valuable meaning, you know, can we link it to outcomes? And we've been collecting short and long term for years. And one of the things we've done is trying to understand not just mental availability, but also decay in memory, right? So what we've learned is that memory starts to sort of form at around the two and a half second mark, give or take. It's always hard to put benchmarks and line in the sands on this stuff, but that's a rough estimate. And what I did in Can was I took a random sample of 130,000 views that we'd collected and had a look at how many of those actually gained more than two and a half seconds of attention, which I call the attention memory threshold. And the answer was about 85% didn't even pick. So only 15% of the adverts were getting beyond the point at which you would say memory is starting Correct. to be encoded. That's why it's really difficult for online forums to be able to generate brand building. And, you know, what I've said all along is that, you know, different platforms have different campaign outcomes and objectives and that's okay but we were talking about it in the context of long term gain because we were with Peter Field so we wanted to explain that it's pretty hard to do that on quite a number of online platforms. One of the the questions I I was thinking about is does does repetition of creative or buying across different platforms help improve the ability to create memory in a short space of time? So we've not tested across different platforms, but we've definitely tested repetition. And what I find with the lower attention platforms is basically what it does is it corrects the wrongs. And what I mean by that is one of the double jeopardy patterns that we found is that lower attention platforms not only gain less mental availability for you, but more for your competitor. And when it's repeated, so when the ad's multiple repeated, people start to get what that brand is. So I kind of think it's a bit of a false economy really, because you want the first impression to make an impression but yeah so so frequency does that yeah so you'd have to spend a lot of money to 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 get the attention not so much to get more attention it's more for people to understand it's kind of cumulative attention i guess yeah Yeah. that makes 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 some sense another thing as well that came out was attention elasticity across platforms as well varied quite a lot didn't it so can you explain what you mean by attention elasticity so what we see is that there are ranges of attention that are quite systematic across different platforms now what i mean by ranges is there is an upper level and a lower level so what that means is that range of attention is bound by the functionality of that platform so platform a will typically always get seven seconds platform b will typically always get five platform c there's a range between zero and three for example so if you think a bit like train tracks where you know the top of the tracks that's about as far as you can go where it stops right and what people don't understand is the impact that has on creative because it it bounds it right it stops it from moving beyond the end of that boundary so we call it attentional elasticity because there's limits elastic limits that sort of set the terms for how your creative performs and if i remember the chart is it the more rich attention platforms have got the greater elasticity is that it works that way around yeah so so bringing creative back into it you know thinking about orlando the better creative sits at the upper edge of that boundary and when you have formats or platforms that have a bigger elasticity it means that the creative can shine right at the top of that range so you get more attention that does make sense isn't it because if you're going to spend more if, if the platform itself generates more attention then there's also more chance for the creative to start to do its work people and- underestimate 
the functionality of the formats and the platforms and how the flow and effects to creative are, definitely. Yeah, no, it makes sense. One thing I want to ask you as well, I don't know if it's something you necessarily can answer, but we talk a lot about how attention spans have kind of reduced and reduced and reduced over the last few years because of the nature of the media we consume. And then that myth has kind of been, seems to be debunked quite a lot. Does your data shed any light on whether the audience attention at a macro level is getting shorter or is that just a myth? No, and even if it was, I can't isolate the effect of the platform from that type of behaviour. So I couldn't be definitive to say it's human attention. I would say that the platform functionality has caused more distraction and that's so... So I can't really definitively... I couldn't isolate that anyway in the data if we if we. Because also to. what you have proved is, of course, the environment and the platform make, make a big difference to the amount of attention that's gained, isn't it? So if, if we all had short attention spans, it wouldn't make any difference, would we? But it's, well, it's like podcasting, right? People are willing to you know, spend two hours, in some cases, listening to a podcast. So some media... Or going to the cinema, right? The predictive functions to drive attention is not the same on each platform. So you just talked about you know, the functionality, it's not like big ads on every platform has the same impact on attention. And that's the issue we have with any sorts of sort of standardised proxies or units or things like that that try to sort of say, if you get an ad that's a 16 by 9 and you scroll slower, then attention occurs because that can be very different to the next platform which has different contextual values right so classic example and this was published two feeds one has fun family feed one has news feed but they're both feed formats and their functionality and their ad units and their ad sizes are the same but one has a slightly different outcome to the other even at three seconds for example so it's just complicated under the hood. So this is why I often talk about proxies just don't work. So you have to go to the humans to understand. Would the implication of that, though, be from a creative point of view, you, you want to be building that into your thinking in terms of how you maximise the attention limit, I suppose, to the platform? 100%. So often creatives get really cross with me for talking about the fact that creative is bound by this elastic limit. But actually, if you think about it, it offers you an opportunity to work with it. And so I'll say, sure, go for a six second ad, but don't expect to get 10. And if you understand kind of the peaks and troughs of how individuals view those platforms, which we collect, you can actually do really well. So you put your branding in the right spot and, you know, use it to your advantage. Yeah, it feels like there's some really strong creative guidance that, that you, you, you can use this data to help. Kind of when, when thinking about the creative work back from the environment, the limits of time, the what's going on around. Yeah, I mean, we, we work more on an objective creative way rather than, you know, system one that does, so, you know, sort of emotions and which is subjective in a way. But objective branding is easy to fix, subjective is harder because emotions is is difficult to to plan for but yeah we've got the data to sort of show where you should put your brand so that you know if someone does pay attention they're more likely to see your brand and remember it and go and buy something yeah and brings me on to uh, media planning as well because it feels this feels incredibly fundamental in terms of how you might approach media planning so what what advice do you give media planners or brands when they're planning in terms of how to approach that task because once you overlay 
actual attention it could radically change the media choices you make it's too complicated to give advice so if you just kind of go blanket skippable versus non-skippable it's just too nuanced so we've just about to launch our version two of our attention plan which incorporates individual viewing patterns and decay curves and all sorts of things underneath it so it's just easier to use optimizers that have modeled data into it than try and say to someone you should plan this way because it will never work wow that's interesting so how, how would how would typically that relationship work with so if i'm if i'm the client i've got my media my media planners whoever they are does your technology integrate into their planning systems we do full api integration we do feature api integration and we also have a SaaS platform for those that, like independence agencies and and even brands that want to you know get access to it themselves yeah, oh, that's fascinating. So it's kind of fun, yeah. Yeah, no, I, no, it's really fascinating. And 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 how how quickly is the adoption of this technology occurring? Because I mean, there's a lot of attention on attention, you know, as we've seen recently with you know in the news. But how quickly is this being adopted and used as a, as an approach? Well, look, I I truly believe that we're at we're past the point of no return now, <laughs> you know. So it, from an innovation diffusion perspective i would suggest we're at critical early critical mass past early adopters i mean every every holding co globally has something to say about attention and how they integrate it so um you know it's been quite a, a ride to be honest to move from professor who has a vision of a currency crisis to someone who's actually right in the the core of of the change so it's kind of fun to watch so yeah it's it's very highly adopted yeah and it it must mean your job now is quite different to five years ago right when you when you started out yeah so my job is about less about talking I mean I'll always describe the core problem because I think when you actually understand that the critical core problem people understand the concept of what attention does so I'll always have an education part of my role. But, you know, my job is now to sort of build products that people want, but also build them rigorously given my background. So, you know, this is the fun part. We have an amazing CPO that's come in and, you know, not even from ad tech and, you know, helps our teams and our devs sort of build product that uses the individual level knowledge that we have you know rather than what we did in the beginning which was just average data sort of aggregated data it's so much deeper now so it's highly predictive of outcomes and it's it's monumental for media planning but the other products are are ones about to drop actually ask me that in a couple of weeks oh okay (laughs) (laughs) that'll be round two round two sorted and and how is technological progress going to help with this in the future so uh, i was just imagining the other day you know wearables and things like that is there technology that allows us to get a read on attention at a bigger scale that makes it accessible to more people do you see that kind of thing happening look i do but i always i I mean we collect from about four thousand people somewhere in the world every month but i would I would also argue there's there's a level of surveillance you've got to watch. So I wouldn't want it to be too... Sca- I mean, sure, bigger panels, more ongoing, I get that. But you, there is a point at which it's a little bit creepy. And you also do... If you have ongoing panels that aren't refreshed really, really regularly, you teach people to pay attention for their dollars, you know? Mm-hmm. But wearables are funny because I've always wanted to build a passive solution, meaning 
I don't really want head goggles because you know you've got head goggles on and all that sort of stuff. So biometrics I'm not a big fan of, but, you know, certainly there's probably some wearables that I would consider, geolocation type wearables, but yeah, anything that's not, that's foreign, whereas, you know, holding your phone in front of your face is not foreign. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, no, you need to, yeah, exactly. Because otherwise you're going to, yeah, you're going to influence the outcome, aren't you? If well, you 100% yeah. influence the outcome. It's very, it's lab-based, but in the wild. And we know when I started this, given my research background, I was very fussy about, I guess, bias. Just going to um, the noise recently when Byron was talking about, but I was really interested in your response in Walk because you framed your response by talking about the ethical implications, which I thought was interesting kind of word. Because obviously, you know, media is being sold on a certain basis now, isn't it? And and this is quite radical. Do you see any kind of challenge to what you're doing or given the vested interests out there in the way things are currently done? You know, getting any pushback? Because I'm a vendor? Well, no, because because basically what you're doing is revealing actual attention compared to, you know, claimed reach, I suppose. And and, and that, that has profound impacts for... Yeah, so 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 let's start with the Byron comment. Um, I kind of had a giggle. Look, I'm Ehrenberg Bass Train, right? So I totally get the whole, you know, reach-based planning works because it's... Well, reach-based planning in its concept works because at the end of the day, more penetration drives brand growth. I get all of that. But what my reply, my reply was was that that he doesn't understand the pipes. He doesn't understand impression delivery at all. And what sits underneath that is significant error for all the reasons I just spoke about. So just need to explain to him as if he were a new client to attention how it actually is evolving. On the ethical side and on the f- the the pushback side you know i'm sure there's there's a few businesses that aren't super happy with me but let's just put it that way publishers and other partners that would perhaps not be happy with me have otherwise chosen to work with us because they recognize the need for change so we are moving towards a much more responsible media phase quite frankly and i think there's been fantastic collaboration from those who you would think wouldn't be super happy Mm, interesting. Just moving to the future then, what's next for Amplified Intelligence and, and you? Where, where, does it, where does it go next? Well, I think attention measurement has settled. So it's settled on three areas in the ecosystem, which is planning, buying, verification. For Amplified, we're just about to launch version two, which you already asked me, of attention plan, which has a lot deeper sort of insights through it and it's it optimizes to outcomes but the next phase for us is is a new product called attention prove and i won't explain in a lot of detail at this point but the bundling and the synergistic effects of the two together are extreme so for us it's been a long journey we've been even criticized of being slow to the party in terms of application and and productization but we wanted to get it right we don't want to we don't want to stuff up you know the opportunity to to make or course correct this. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And is is that is that because investors are impatient to? It's not investors. It's not investors. No. Or is it demand out there? Competitors. <laughs> I'd rather do something considered and rigorous than than hasty and wrong. Yeah, be first or be better. I think as the phrase goes. Oh, that's wonderful. And if people want to get in touch with you and, you know, what what should they do? Oh, hello at amplifiedintelligence.com.au. But otherwise, just LinkedIn me. LinkedIn, Karen Nelsonfield, yeah. you're on there. KNF. KNF, brilliant. 
Karen, thank you so much. It's been great to understand more about what you do and the importance of attention and measuring it correctly. Thank you so much. There you are, ladies and gentlemen. That was my conversation with Karen Nelson-Field from Amplified Intelligence, understanding the mechanics behind attention and why we should be paying more attention to attention. If you like that and would like to listen to more Uncensored CMO, you can subscribe. Just go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, hit the subscribe button and never miss an episode. Now, one big request. I would love you to leave me a review. Reviews are so important. Uh, They give me feedback and they also give me a bit of a boost as well, especially if they're five star. So if you want to leave a review, please, please do. It means a lot. Um, if you want to be get in touch with me, you can do. I'm over on Twitter at Uncensored CMO, and I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me there, John Evans. That's John without an H. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>